Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series. We're entitling it, Flawless God Uses Flawed People. I've been looking forward to this series for some time now. Each week we're going to be looking at a different Bible character and see how a flawless God could use a flawed person. And the Bible is actually filled with examples of men and women who had major flaws and minor flaws, and God used them in a mighty way. I think it's going to be a series that will be easy to relate to because all of us uh, know that we have flaws. And sometimes we even ask the question, God, are you sure you can use me? Because I got a lot of flaws. I'm a little bit messy. I've had a messy past, and and my present isn't that squeaky clean either. Some of the so-called heroes of the faith, you know, we think of David, like he, he was an adulterer, right? Moses, uh, he was a murderer. Uh, Abraham, uh, well, he was a liar. Jacob, a con artist. Rahab, uh, a prostitute. Samson, a womanizer. Uh, Paul, uh, I mean, arrested Christians and, and put them in prison and then some even killed. Like, They've all have had uh, a little bit of baggage in their past. And God uses all kinds of people. He used these people who had flaws. And it's just a good reminder that he can use us. Here's what I like reading about and studying about some of these men and women. Each one of them had flaws. Every one of them had baggage. Every one of them had a past. Every one of them had personal struggles. Every one of them was either working on something or had just worked through something. And sometimes we looked at the things that they've worked through, you think, well, shouldn't that disqualify them from God using them? But no. That's what's so amazing about a flawless God. He actually does use flawed people to accomplish his purpose. So this morning, I'm actually going to talk about racism. Now, I wanted to acknowledge right at the very beginning, I have very little perspective. I've not dealt with some of the problems that minorities have had to deal with. So I'm going to try my best to share a few things from God's Word on the subject. So I want to be clear that the issue of racism is a sin issue. This is not an issue of politics. This is not a U.S. issue. It's a Canadian issue. It's actually a worldwide issue. Now, I know we've made some strides. I get that we have when it comes to racism, but we still have a long ways to go because it seems like there's always this underlying Uh, Under the surface, uh, something simmering of unresolved issues with racism. And it's evil. I think we've said it before. It's it's sinful. It's like a disease. It's like a, a virus that has no vaccine. It's not like you can go to Shoppers Drug Mart and get a prescription to cure it and to heal it. So with that all said, would you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a story where Jesus faces racism. Okay? Now for some of us, this story is actually very familiar. But I, I, this morning what I want to do is, is take a, a fresh look at it in a way totally different than I've ever looked at this passage of Scripture before. So yesterday it became really kind of new to me. It's like I, I was reading it for the first time. 
John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or some kind of electronic device, I would encourage you to follow along and, and see it with your own eyes. In verse 1 of John chapter 4, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's noontime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? John puts this little note in here. His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. So what's happening? Jesus has gained some popularity in this chapter, and we discover that he, there's more people being baptized by Jesus than John the Baptist himself, and he's gaining popularity, and the Pharisees are envious of Jesus, how he's able to gather these large crowds, and other people are able to relate to him. And so he leaves Judea to go to Galilee, and we're told in the text he had to go to Samaria. And it says that Jesus, who was in Judea, had to go to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. Nobody has to go through Samaria. No Jew has to go. If you look at the map, most Jews would much rather cross over the Jordan River, go up through Decapolis, cross back over the Jordan River, and make their way into Galilee. They'd much rather add an extra day or two to the trip than ever find themselves going through Samaria. Like I said, nobody has to go through Samaria. <laughs> no Orthodox Jew has to go to Samaria. You know why they don't have to go through Samaria? Because everybody knows, you know who lives in Samaria, right? Those Samaritan dogs. That's what the Jewish people called them. The dirty, the unclean, the untouchables. And Jesus is going to address racism in this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus now is going to address racism. In a matter of hours, he's going to address an issue that has been part of his society and the Samaritan woman's society for 800 years. There's this ongoing tension between Jews and Samaritans, and it's been going on for 800 years. And so it says that Jesus has to go to Samaria because Jesus has a, an appointment at noontime that the disciples have no idea about. And he's going to meet a woman in Samaria. And not just any woman, it's a Samaritan woman, and it's not just any well. It's Jacob's well. This well has history. This well has a legacy. As I said, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, but they both loved Jacob. Jacob is the father of both the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Jesus is going to meet this woman on common ground. Because remember, they don't like each other. But Jesus is going to stop at a place 
they both can identify with. He is traveling there because there is a spiritual need. And this is a place where they both can agree on the place and the person of Jacob. And so when Jesus asks for a drink, as I said, John gives us a few more little details there. It says, for the disciples had gone into the city to buy some food, which is actually a significant part of the story, which we'll look at a little bit later. And, and just to meet it, Jesus asked for a drink, and the woman is shocked. I, I, think, I think it took her a while to pick up her jaw off the ground. And she says, how is it you being a Jew asking me for a drink of water? So I don't know if this crosses your mind anytime you've read this story before, but I'm like, how does she know he's a Jew? He doesn't say he's a Jew. Like, doesn't seem like he said anything that would tip her off that he is a Jew. So evidently, there's something about him that makes it obvious he's Jewish. I don't know, either by his accent, maybe an outfit, maybe something he's wearing. But when he asks for a drink, bam, she knows. She recognizes you're Jewish. Now, Jesus doesn't stop being who he was to reach someone else. He doesn't pretend to be someone or something else. He, he doesn't give up his Jewish history or his Jewish ancestry. He doesn't try to become someone else to reach someone who is nothing like him. Now, something caught her attention. He looked Jewish. He talked Jewish. But he certainly wasn't acting Jewish. Because he was willing to put his Jewish lips on her Samaritan cup. He did not let 800 years of prejudice and racism, that relationship, that was not what was going to define this relationship between Jesus and this woman. She goes, how, do you, how is it that you ask me for a drink? Don't you know we don't do things that way in this part of town? Don't you know that in our neighborhood, we don't cross over those social and racial and economic and language and cultural barriers? But before Jesus gives her the gospel, he demonstrates that he's not like everyone else. See, she expects him to act a certain way because everything that she's ever experienced, everything she's ever read, everything that she was ever told is that Jewish men act a certain way. And now for the, she's not seeing it. It's not being played out. Jesus is, is not acting the what she thought or heard or read about. It was not her experience. It seems like by Jesus being willing to drink from the same cup, he's kind of opening a door to bring the good news of the gospel. He's about to turn 800 years of history upside down and redefine the relationship. Jesus does not let his background or history get in the way. And so because Jesus is willing to take a drink from her cup, he's able to turn the conversation to spiritual things. Because he says, if you knew the water that I offer, in fact, let's just continue to read in the story. 
pick up it in verse 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Well, indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's thinking naturally, like, well, tell me, where can I go so I don't have to come out in the middle of the day in the heat of the sun at 12 o'clock noon to come and draw some water. If there's some water that will quench my thirst forever, tell me. Because she, she's obviously not following him. She, she doesn't understand really what Jesus is saying. So then Jesus says in verse 16, he says, go call your husband. Let's talk about it. Well, I think when she, he says that, I think she's silent. I think she's speechless. I think when she starts to speak, she's stumbling over her words. Like, uh, well, um, I'm, I'm actually a, a single woman. I'm, I'm not married. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You're not married. You've been married five times, and now you and Mr. Brown got something going on. And they go from discussing his skin color to discussing her sin. And he's getting close to home. And so she's going to try to change the subject. She wants to change the conversation to where she goes to church. Look at it. Let's kind of re pick it up again. Um, Verse 17, she says, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true. Sir, the, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Our fathers told us that this is where we're supposed to go to church, but you people, that's what she says, I mean, talk about a racial slur. There was ever a racial slur. There it is. You people, you worship over there. What she's trying to say, listen, is we have different history. <laughs> Behind me is Mount uh, Gerizim. That's where the Samaritan temple was. And, and my father told me, hey, little girl, if you ever decide to go to church, that's where you go to church. And you know how he knew to tell me that? Because his father told him that's where he was to go to church. And you know how my grandfather knew to tell my father where to go to church who told me? It's because my great-grandfather told my grandfather who told my father who told me, hey, girl, if you ever want to go to church, that's where you go, to church. This is my history. This is my background. It's interesting, Jesus never really does engage in this racial conversation. But when she brings up the history about his father, like you people are told that's where you're supposed to go. He goes on and talks about, um, he doesn't get involved in, in culture or race. He, he brings up and he talks about spirit and truth. He says, actually, it's the first question. And then Jesus is actually quite, if you continue with reading the story, He's, he's kind of blunt because he just says, you and your father are wrong. Your worship, what is wrong? 
Because it's, it's, not a, it's not a Samaritan thing. It's not a Jewish thing. It's a God thing. I, I heard Tony Evans uh, say this. I, I love it. Black is only beautiful when it's biblical. And white is only right when it agrees to holy living. So it's wrong even if your father has told you who was told by his father. I think sometimes we're, we're missing the issue when it comes to addressing this topic. Because I think sometimes we have abandoned the truth in favor of culture. We have decided culture will have the last word and truth will come along when it can. And instead of truth leading the way and bringing culture behind it. And unless truth rules, all this talk about racial reconciliation is never going to happen. She goes on to say, if you continue reading the story, which our time I know is, is going so fast, but I encourage you to read all of chapter 4 of John. She goes on to say, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll fix all of that. He'll figure all that out. And then Jesus says, oh, the Messiah is here. I'm here. Which all of a sudden you know what something's going on inside of our mind. Like, what? He says, Yeah, the Messiah is here. Well, just about at that time, the disciples, remember, had gone into town and they're coming back. And as they're getting close to Jesus, they're like, Is that a woman Jesus was talking to? My goodness, not just a woman, it's a Samaritan woman. What is he doing talking to a person like that? Has the sun got to him? Has the heat got to him? Does he know who he's talking to? And of course, when you read the story, by the time they get to him, the, the Samaritan woman's left to go back into town. because She's going to gather some people to come back and see this guy, who this guy is. Is it possible that he really is the Messiah? And so they come back and like, they bring some food. They said, Rabbi, eat. And he says, oh, I have something to eat. Right? You sent us into town <laughs> in the heat of the day. What do you mean you have something? Who gave you something to eat? As I got thinking about this story, I thought, you know, there's a reason Jesus sent the disciples into town to get some food. Because I think the disciples had so many preconceived ideas as well about Samaritans. They had all kinds of prejudice against Samaritans. They, they were, had these racial thoughts towards Samaritans. I think Jesus kind of moves them out of the way so he can have a conversation and not let the disciples, who I think probably had racial uh, tendencies, to get out of the way so he could just have this conversation uh, with this woman. So he sends them about five miles away into the town, which is about five miles from Jacob's well. They go in, of course, they, you know, order Chick-fil-A, and they come back and say, hey, we got some food for you. This woman, obviously they're, they're dealing with some racial issues here, but this is what I find amazing. God, Jesus, is going to use a lady who is a terrible reputation. And God's going to use her to basically win her town to the Lord. In a town where women were afraid for, of their husbands to even talk to this woman, they forbid their husbands to talk to her. 
this flawed lady is going to become the biggest evangelist this town has ever seen. Because she's going everywhere telling everybody about Jesus. Like, come and meet somebody who knows everything about me. Like, there's no reason for this Jewish man to be talking to me, but he was. And he, he sounded Jewish and he looked Jewish, but he wasn't acting Jewish. And as you continue to read the text, I'd forgotten this part of the story, actually, until I read it again. It says Jesus stayed two more days. At 12 noon, the woman says, you folks and us, we don't get along. Now they're asking him to stay two days longer. In just a few hours, the racial barriers had been torn down. It took an afternoon. Sometimes I think maybe as a church, we've taken way too many years to fix this issue. When I read in this text, Jesus fixed it in an afternoon. Now I know I'm not trying to say it's not complicated. It can be very complicated. But look how Jesus literally turned things around in literally hours. Flipped 800 years of history upside down. Eliminate it, redefine what the relationship was going to be like. See, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel can, can pull together a black Christian and a white Christian and a yellow Christian and a red Christian and a Baptist and an Anglican and a Pentecostal and is able to pull them all together and change the environment in a day. That's the power of the gospel. So we wrap up two things I just want us to remember. Racism. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And number two, change first starts in the church. When the church gets it right, they can begin to influence the culture. So they get it right. Thanks for listening. And consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no